In just a moment, we'll get our question period underway. But before I do that, I'd like to take this moment to thank SACPA's partners, um, who include the Lethbridge Herald, Shaw TV, CKXU, Country Kitchen Catering, and the University of Lethbridge. As you know, SACPA is a nonprofit organization um, who, who benefits from the support of our members and audience. And Canude just tells me uh, just now that if you purchase a membership now, it is a good until the June 2017 AGM. So a bit, a bit of a bonus if you, if you purchase your membership now. <clears throat> I'd also like to draw your attention to next week's session. What are the pressing challenges of resettling refugees in Lethbridge? That'll take place, same time, same place, right here at SACPAW. This and other section, sessions of SACPAW are recorded and can be found on the SACPAW website, www.sacpaw.ca, where you may also enjoy audio versions of, of all of the sessions. Um, a survey and comments are also invited through the website, and you can also contribute your feedback via this su suggestion box in the lobby. As we uh, enter our question and answer period, I'll invite you up to the microphone over here. Um, please state your name, keep your comments brief, and ask one or two topical questions. We ask that you return to your seat uh, once you have asked your question. And so with that, I will invite Raj back to the stage. Thank you. Hi. Hi. Oh, am I on? Hi. Now I'm on. <laughs> My name is Henning Mundel. I just introduced myself yeah. to you, Raj. Hi. Thank you. And I have a little question or about two kinds of scenarios of intrinsic unfairness, which really, from your definitions, were institutional bullying. And let me explain the two examples. I worked for about 30 years at the research station here at Canada, and I was one of the scientists. Okay, within the scientist uh, range, until about 91 or 2, we had a quota for promotions. So I'm talking about that aspect of, that you're talking about, possibility of promotion, sort of institutional bullying. There was a quota. You, you can't go in there until other people kick the bucket or retire until there's free there again. Doesn't matter how well you performed. But how our technicians, there was another kind of institutional bullying because once they've reached the maximum or a certain level in relation to the definition of their job description, there was no chance of promotion unless they applied for another job. In other words, they could stay at that level for 20 years because that is the job description. So again, I would say that's institutional bullying from your definition, so I wonder, how can compliance with labor code section 20 be achieved under those kinds of circumstances? Mm. Interesting question, uh, Henry. Um, I think we, we have to uh, differentiate between an employer, uh, employer's staffing responsibilities and, um, and bullying and harassment. Uh, staffing uh, is is something that is totally in the employer's uh, domain or purview. Uh, unions don't have 
uh, rights in staffing in collective agreements that I know of in the federal public service for sure, um, which is which is where you work. Uh, and so, you know, to 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 term that institutional bullying, um, I think that you know it's a it's a real fine fine line between what is the employer's right for staffing. I mean, everything, if all else is equal and they they met uh, essential qualifications for that position um, and there was an available position, uh, then then they should have the opportunity to apply for that position. Um, you're, you're, what I hear you saying is that they were blocked from that, um, but I'm not, I don't really understand why. Is it because there wasn't... Uh, uh, dollars available to resource that position or um, you know w when you term it institutional bullying it seems that um, uh, is it is it treating one person unfairly because of certain reasons as opposed to somebody else or does it treat everybody the same okay I think you're referring to the second scenario I did of the of our technicians about yeah. hiring yeah. no if they got the job though there was no chance for promotion Unless they really got another job, but they could get another job within the de that that department within. Well, uh, there may not be other jobs available yeah. for it, but if, with, but with if there were, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so you know, that's I, I believe that's something that an employer has to look at. Um, is are their criteria for promotion, for hiring? Uh, did they apply the um, the uh, fairness and transparency lens to it, that everybody should be treated equally. And, um, you know, given, given some legislation, such as uh, employment equity, that, you know, has some, some basis in, in science. And, and uh, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's a difficult, very difficult question to answer. But, um, you know, I think that's the lens that you have to apply to that. Is, is has everybody been treated the same? Um, is everybody under the same criteria? Uh, or is there favoritism involved based on some of those perhaps um, um, factors under the Human Rights Act or, you know, so you have to look at all those. Thanks. Yeah, my name is Mark Edel. It seems that the answer to a lot of our problems in our society seems to be uh, legislation and policy. But the problem with legislation and policy is sometimes it doesn't get at the root of the problem. And as a civil servant also, as a working in the public service for many years for my retirement, I could see that, that sometimes these policies and legislation, when implemented to the extreme by managers that are so afraid because it's due diligence, they have to make sure this isn't happening. In actual fact, that ends up as a harassment in itself in the, pub in the workplace. So... Do you have any comment on that? Do you, do you see that sometimes that these policies actually make people's jobs uh, as a harassment, for instance, especially in the safety aspect? Like I could say at the research center, you couldn't wear shorts. You had to wear a hat because, you know, the employer thought, oh, well, if you don't wear a hat, you could be sued because you could get cancer or skin cancer or something like that. So these policies and legislations really take away the freedom of the employee to be able to work the way they like to work or the way they feel they can work, you know, the implementing. So the boss is harassing you, you know, put your shoes on or, you know, <laughs> don't wear shorts into the lab or, you know, it, it becomes a, yeah, a very yeah. harassing type of environment. 
Okay. Um, again, you know, I think it's uh, that that again is something that is governed by other legislation. Health and safety legislation, for example, determines what what you can and cannot uh, wear as far as safeguarding your 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 um, health and safety at the workplace. And those are enforceable by the employer, and they sh and they should be. Um, again, you know, you have to look at it as uh, is everybody being treated equally is everybody um well yeah no are, are you are you harassing everybody equally to wear their hard hat <laughs> or or their boots well i hope so uh, i wouldn't call it harassment i would call it enforcing the health and safety policy <laughs> thanks for your presentation mary shillington here uh, I've worked for several nonprofit agencies, and I'm wondering one question: uh, uh, Is there any stats about how many non-governmental uh, agencies or departments are are would have this, the kind of program you talked about? And the other question is: How do you deal with somebody who has an underlying mental health issue and is in a position of power and uses that? In, in the, the work, especially to target certain people who have been victimized at other times mm. uh, in other circumstances and are very vulnerable and feeling powerless and so on. So those are my questions. Yeah, thank you, Mary. Um, good, good questions. Um, you know, especially the, the I, I think, you know, the, the, how do you deal with a, an employer or a boss that has a mental health issue? Diff re really, really difficult. Uh, first of all, um, how do you determine they have a mental health issue? And how do you know? <laughs> but, you know, whoever uh, the owner of the company or the employer is ultimately has a responsibility to ensure that, uh, that if employees have some issues mentally, help through their doctors and, and, and uh, follow up on it and ensure that access that care because, um, you know, uh, if you have a boss that, that, uh, that or a supervisor that is uh, treating you badly and, and you know that he didn't used to do that and, and uh, you know, something happened in his life that you know of, maybe a divorce or a death, and, and you think that it could be, bring it to the attention of, of, the, of his boss and say, you know, that this is what's occurring and it's affecting the workplace. Um, like I said at the beginning of the talk, the most important thing is that we all try to make the workplace the best place it can possibly be to go to because we spend half our life there. And, um, and you know, if we, if we um, look at instances like that and, get and, and encourage uh, their supervisors to get to, to look into getting them assistance, I think we're helping the whole workplace be a better place. Um, yeah, and it, this applies to nonprofits as well. Is there stats on nonprofits? Uh, I don't have them uh, on nonprofits specifically, but uh, when before I came here, I did a lot of uh, searching on Google and, and looking at uh, different things, and there's a lot of information on the internet about uh, statistics and and um, uh, 
you know, what goes on uh, in, in various different types of workplaces. And also there was a, one site, and I had written it down, I'm not sure where it is now, but it's a, <clears throat> it's a law firm that has all kinds of questions and answers on, uh, on you know, situations and, and legal jurisprudence on cases that uh, is a wealth of information. So, uh, sorry, I can't really give you uh, any statistics on that, but uh, I'm sure that in non- it's it's in nonprofits as much as anywhere else. Uh, um, you know, the abusive behavior can occur. Yeah. Hi, I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone. Thank you very much for your talk. You're I have welcome. to g- disagree with your kids. <clears throat> I thought the first part was um, was really quite good and fascinating, and it leads into my questions. Um, I've worked at a lot of places where there were bullies and um, and have been bullied. Um, so quite often when there's bullying, it's, um, it's a lot of little um, unobtrusive events that are also intrusive events. And each one, <clears throat> each one you, you kind of question yourself, you know, why do I feel bad about that? What what was that? You know, but when you look back and and you add it all up, and especially with your list, which I wish I had had, you know, about thirty years ago, it adds up to a pattern of intimidation and bullying. And so you recommended as an ex- as a way to deal with it to write these things down. But each one in and of itself could be dismissed by oh you're overreacting, you're sensitive, la la la. So, um, my one question is what to do when it's a pattern and you might not see it till later. And the other one is, and I have to tell you, I didn't, my husband and I did not talk about this one, but I also wrote down institutional bullying. And um, I have two examples at the University of Lethbridge, and I can't say too much about the first one except that um, a, when a position is saved, a full time position is saved for one person over the course of years and other positions people have to apply for, that seems to me that that is, mm-hmm. that that is um, institutional bullying. Um, the second one, which actually has been rectified, and that was <clears throat> when people were hired for positions of uh, sessional instructor, and they were hired again and again and again, um, they were being bullied by the institution because they weren't being hired as full-time profs. But Alpha has stepped in, and that has been changed. If you're hired three times in a row for a sessional position, then you must be hired full-time. So that one has been changed. Okay, so the one was um, the building up of these little intrusive events. What can you do about it? And the other one is um, institutional bullying when it seems to fit your criteria of not everyone is being treated the same. Hmm. Okay. Um... With regards to your first question, Bev, about uh, you know these little small events, that's often that's often what bullies do, and that's why <coughs> that's why you really need to, as you said, document these individual events and show a pattern. If you can demonstrate that there's a pattern of abuse, often you know bullying is very very subtle, and uh, and and almost you know insidious the way it's done. Um, you know I, I've had situations uh, I've, I've known of situations where somebody uses the 
Uh, well, you you remember we talked about this, and so you 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 doubt yourself right away. Do I have a bad memory? What, what's wrong with me? I can't remember this. I don't remember that. But you know that, that that's a little little thing, but it can really really cause a lot of problems um, because it's setting you up to be on the defensive right away. All these things need to be documented. All these things need to um, show a, a steady pattern of abusive behavior. And, uh, and then you bring it um, you know, to the person in control of that and, and say that because of all these things, you have to kind of demonstrate a, that there is a pattern and that it amounts to bullying. And often, you know, there's a fine line between bullying, being rude uh, and aggressive and, and being a bully, you know, and, and uh, they really are case by case and you have to look at each case individually. Um, as far as the institutional bullying, um, with staffing, setting aside a position. That's a problem uh, that we encounter as well in the federal government, um, especially with our staffing process. Uh, we used to be able, able to appeal staffing processes. We can't do that anymore because the government changed the legislation. Uh, and the only grounds for appealing a competition now are if you could show abuse of authority or that somebody wasn't tested in their the French the language of their choice, uh, French or English. And that's the only grounds. And, and abuse of authority is very difficult to show. So, um, I, you know, my experience has been that human resources departments have, have uh, uh, systematically tried to make their job easier and, and, and uh, allow managers or, 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 or supervisors to, to pick um, kind of who they want. And, and they use this term personal suitability a lot now in federal government. So uh, if you qualify, it used to be that you'd, you'd rank people uh, based on how they did on the interviews. Now, as long as they're qualified, they go into a pool. And uh, in, in this pool, um, you can select whoever you want. They're not ranked in that pool as long as they meet the essential qualifications. Makes it a lot more difficult, and uh, uh, you know, all all I can suggest you do in those circumstances is to bring it to the attention of um, human resources that you feel that uh, this is unfair, that 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 this uh, position is being uh, targeted for a specific individual, and 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 that is limiting everybody else's opportunities, and uh, try to change, you know, uh, something. That that is, uh, you know, systemic. It's it's not easy, and um, yeah, I really don't have a good answer for you there, Bev. Other than, you know, you have to document, document, and then um, let people know that that your uh, this is your concern in union management meetings or staff management meetings or whatever mechanism you have in place to do that. Uh, it could be. I, again, you know, it has to be uh, every situation looked at based on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, my name is Van Christou. Um, I'd like to express my personal thanks, Raj, to you oh. for, for uh, facing that uh, traffic in Calgary and being <laughs> here with us today uh, with, uh, to share your expertise <laughs> in, in this area with us. Um, during my lifetime, uh, certainly things have improved a lot in terms of uh, 
human rights uh, legislation and uh, attention to bullying and, 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 and the various things that you've talked about. There has been a lot of improvement. One of the things that happened along with that improvement, however, is with the enormous growth of corporations and the amount of uh, the size of them, the amount of money they make, the amount of power that they wield, and the enormous teams of high-priced lawyers that they have, isn't that, a, a, uh, in your opinion, an, a, a great deterrent to anyone who, who even thinks about litigation against them in case of a case of, well, I'm just thinking of the, the news yesterday in Cal out of Calgary with WestJet and, and the uh, sexual harassment in, right. in Hawaii and so on. Um, don't you think that um, even though we only see a small percentage of the people that have been harassed that way, um, one of the reasons that we see such a small percentage of them is because they face this terrible, uh, almost a wall of, of litigation that's so expensive nowadays with the price of, of legal fees being so high. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, thanks for that, Van. And, and, you know, I couldn't agree with you more that it's not a fair fight. <laughs> Corporations have, uh, it seems, unlimited resources and they're uh, often willing to put those resources to defend people that perhaps should be disciplined rather than defended. Um, and uh, how, how do you fight that? It's, it's, that's a good question. I, uh, I, don't, I, I don't have an answer for it. I hope that uh, there's enlightenment happening every time these sort of things come, come, to, come to roost. I think, um, you know, with the, with the example you gave of WestJet, it's... Uh, you know, this social media is making a tremendous impact on that. People are putting together petitions on change.org and various sites to, uh, to encourage others to uh, get involved and, and, and let uh, WestJet know that this is not acceptable and they need to do something about it. Corporations are, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting when you talk about corporations because um, years ago I watched this this show called The Corporation. And I encourage everybody to check it out sometime. It's done by a Canadian, actually, out of UBC, uh, Joel Bakken. And uh, very, very interesting uh, documentary. You can get it on the internet now. Uh, and it talks about a corporation and how a uh, corporation meets every criteria definition of a psychopath. <laughs> Where do we hope our psychopaths are? <laughs> We hope they're in prison, right? <laughs> well, you know, so, and, and those are the people that might meet one or two of the criteria of a psychopath. Corporation meets every single criteria of a psychopath, and that's who's running our world. So we need those checks and balances in there to, to, to challenge corporations when they do this, because they do have a lot of resources, and often they're willing to put it, uh, put it towards it. So I, I think those are really good points, Ben. And thank you. Thank you for the comments as well. It's very nice to meet you, too. Yes. Uh, Terry Shillington, <clears throat> thank you for your presentation and your information. As I listen to you, a theory forms in my mind, and I wonder if there's uh, research to back that up. But I begin to think that the more team-based and mutually accountable a workplace is, the less bullying there will be. And the more military a, a work setting is, uh, the more it lends itself to bullying. I, I spent most of my life serving in the church where at least in the churches I was in, there was always some bullies because bullies show up from their, their other parts of their life and try out their, their, their tactics. But uh, most of the churches I served in, the lines of authority were quite diffused and, and many would say confused. 
Uh, but I don't think it lent itself to bullies particularly. But uh, I, I witness uh, many of our bullying problems surfacing out of the RCMP and and military and and WestJet is the latest example. But there too, where planes and and uh, planes and ships are concerned, the lines of authority are very clear uh, because lives depend on mm -hmm. on clear authority. So I'm wondering if. Uh, is workplaces and institutions that are more military are far more vulnerable to bullying and bullies. Yeah, military, absolutely. I, I would say, and and we do deal with the military uh, in, in in the Public Service Alliance of Canada because we represent the the um, the uh, civilian military members in Suffield and various bases uh, across Canada. So. Uh, and we we notice that as well that you know in in a military organization or a uh, authoritative organization like the RCMP, uh, it is very very much top down, and you're not you you're taught not to question, uh, follow follow those orders. You don't question them, and so yes, absolutely, it would lend itself to a, a greater amount of bullying. And uh, you know the the, the one thing. Uh, you know, the, and, and again, you know, it's a fine line between bullying and, and maintaining control and order. And, uh, you know, is that the that I, I think in military organizations um, like the RCMP or the, or the military, Canadian, uh, all militaries, I would say, that uh, some of that is necessary. You know, there has to, as you said, the lives depend on things happening a certain way and, and uh, certain protocols being followed. So, um you know, I think they're, they're they're good points you make, and that they're things that have to be uh, taken into account when looking at uh, harassment and bullying in those types of positions. But at the end of the day, um, I think still it, it's it's most important to uh, keep focus on health and what's good for the people and 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 how you can demonstrate to the heads of organizations, and it can be demonstrated that if you have, uh, 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 you mentioned team-based team uh, approaches, and if you have a happy workplace, if you have people that enjoy coming to work, you get more productivity. You, you have less sick time. You, you know, it, it just works all the way around for, for both sides, whether it's the employee or the employer. So it's in the employer's best interest to ensure that they have some process in place to address concerns when they arise. That's, uh, yeah. we'll, we'll just take this one last question here. Uh, thank you for your presentation because some of those statistics that you've given us are a little bit scary, yeah. more than a little bit scary. Anyway, my name is Frances Schultz and one of my concerns is the unequal weight that can be given depending on your position in the institution. If you're at the boss level or supervisor level, it becomes a, well, whose story is correct? And, and how, how can we get past and give equal weight and credence to everybody's description of what happened? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question. And um, I can tell you in a unionized environment, which is where I come from, um, uh, union representatives have protections. And they are given, or the protections give them equal standing when they're in representing uh, one of their members with management. Uh, it's, they're on the same level. So if a management is rude or, or say, you know, raises his voice and the union 
representative, understanding that you're in there as the union representative is, is, is equally rude back. Uh, it's been found through cases that uh, he can't be found insubordinate because he's, he's, he's representing on an equal level. And that when, when you're dealing with the employer uh, as a representative, you are at the, at the same level. doesn't matter uh, what's, uh, what position you have in the workplace. Um, is it an un unequal, is unequal weight given to uh, uh, well, I, I would say it's, it's, it's human nature that that does happen. And, uh, you know, all we can do is educate, um, have clear policies that, that make it easier to uh, define what is and what isn't um, bullying or, or abusive behavior and uh, have it as transparent as possible and, and have training so that everybody is aware of it. And then when those policies are uh, violated, uh, you have, you know, you, you, you can go back to that and say, well, this is the policy of, of, of our uh, 